<clears throat> okay. In 1914, when I was not quite six years old, an old man came down San Benito Avenue on his way to the old people's home, playing a solo on a bugle and stopped in front of our house. I ran out of the yard and stood at the curb waiting for him to start playing again, but he wouldn't do it. I said, I sure would like to hear you play another tune. And he said, young man, could you get a glass of water for an old man whose heart is not here? but in the highlands. Lightning recap. In The Man with the Heart in the Highlands by William Soroyan, a young man goes to the store to buy a meal for a guest. You you there, person, human, you have a little time. We've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast with rock and roll Christy Baxter, who is here today with Christopher J. A little bit country Garcia. Damn straight. Uh, and it's it's the Days of August in which America becomes America again, uh, in which special councils sprout like wildflowers, and we can just sit back and read short stories. Hey, what short story should we read at this inflection point in American history? At this incredible moment when uh, so much is changing and yet everything is staying the same, we should read The Man with the Heart in the Highlands by William Sorian. Now, I professionally enjoy the works of William Sorian as I work at his foundation, of course. But here's the interesting thing. This story is by far one of my favorites because there are so many ties to so many different literary and theatrical traditions to it that I just find fascinatingly beautiful. And I could read this story over and over and over again because I've read this story over and over and over again. <laughs> could you give us some examples? I'm really curious uh, what in particular, like ties. Funny you should ask. Well, of course, this is a Stranger Comes to Town story, which is the one of the oldest stories along with Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Uh, but it's really a retelling, though slightly muted, version of Stone Soup. This is The Stranger Comes to Town. He does some stuff. He says, hey, can you bring a little bit of blah and then a little bit of blah? And then they end up with this magical soup. Uh, this is sort of sidelighted to that. But that is definitely an aspect here where it is someone who comes to town who is a special person who is not necessarily initially treated as a special person. Then we have the story that is all together to 19 teens and 20s and 30s, which Theroyan is writing. I believe he wrote this in 35 or 36. And he, in the midst of the Depression, I doubt he is writing about his childhood as much as him projecting back to what his childhood would have been if the Depression was actually on. Although 
he wasn't Armenian and poor, so maybe. But also at this time, he would have been in an orphanage in Oakland. So neither here nor there. This may be where I know a little too much about our writer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there can be that that line, I suppose, where knowing too much about their life can cause you to maybe like have too much information, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And we're it's interesting that we have the one of my favorite of Soroyan's characters is little Johnny. Uh, could you have chosen a more <laughs> just every kid name? <laughs> yes, he is the every boy, little Johnny. <laughs> little Johnny, probably Smith Jones. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. This is one of the few stories of Soroyan's in this period that doesn't specifically address either Armenianness or the immigrant experience really at all. And in fact, this may be his uh, 1930s definition of whitest story. <laughs> because at this point, who could afford to be an unpublished poet? Yeah, really. And uh, I mean, now that's the only kind of poet there is, but. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many poets getting so much exposure, just everywhere they look, exposure, 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 uh, leading to nothing, but still it's exposure. (laughs) Just hopefully not the kind that gets them arrested. Well, that happens too. Or, (laughs) you know, all those people who had all the drive to climb up on to Everest and become a corpse, uh, they also died of exposure. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but I do love that Johnny goes out and is forced to become a fast-talking con man <laughs> who absolutely plays our shop owner who is, as far as I can tell, the only image of an immigrant, I believe he is Serbian or Croatian. The name actually traces to one of those groups. I can't remember which. Um, He said, knowing that he wrote the study guide for this and now cannot remember for the life. (laughs) But as a character, it's fascinating because he is both overly trusting as if he doesn't want to get conned by Jasper McGregor, this traveling buglesman. Uh, and at the same time, he's flat out a con. <laughs> I love yeah, that. There's definitely an, a reluctance to the position that he's put into. You can, you can feel, or at least I'm pretty sure I felt it, that feeling of, I don't want to be this person who has to pretty much con the grocery store owner out of out of food uh with empty promises of future payment but he's pretty good at it anyhow (laughs) which makes you wonder what his future is going to be like yes oh absolutely i think he ended up as the uh 45th president of the united states but i (laughs) what's beautiful about the whole scenario is that these are archetypes. 
but they are the modernist interpretation of archetypes. There is the, uh, the great philosopher uh, who is completely misunderstood in his time. There is the fast talking kid. Uh, and of course there is the stranger with this remarkable talent and who is on his way to the old folks home, which I find interesting. Did people just hit like the old folks home circuit back in the day and I just not know it? <laughs> Apparently there was just uh, like a map with all the old folks homes on it and little X's and you just follow the little trail, go on your little tour. Now I have it like the family circus where there's the little dots and you're following Mr. McGregor around and goes down a slide. <laughs> Except in this case, you, uh, you you end up in a lot of rooms that smell like menthol and <laughs> medicine. I don't know. I can't think of things that rooms smell like. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Neither can I since I've lost my sense of smell again. <laughs> mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's great. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the, the things that this story does is it makes us at various times shift who we think the hero is. And I really believe we're supposed to believe that Johnny is the hero of the story and that the pressure is being put upon him to go and do these things that he doesn't want to do. I think on the other hand, at some point, Mr. McGregor becomes the hero because he is the founder of the feast, as it were, that once he starts playing his bugle and given, giving his talent to the world, that makes everyone enriched. And Soroyan does this a lot where he will try and make you see the multiple layers. There's also a reading that I find interesting. It's that the actual shopkeeper is actually the hero and everyone else in the, the story is a villain to one degree or another. Which I find interesting. And I could also see Soroyan who writes about the immigrant experience so much using that as sort of a highlight. Here it is, someone who is most likely not a member of an immigrant community going out and defrauding an immigrant shopkeeper. I think that there's a tension there that I really like how he plays with it. Yeah, I think Soroyan is really good with those shades of gray and with sort of adding texture to the tapestry so it's not flat, so it's not one dimensional, um, so that everybody has, you know, th their flaws. Nobody is a hero throughout the entire story. Nobody is a villain throughout the entire story, really. Except maybe maybe Johnny's father a little bit. Um, <laughs> or at least not a villain, just kind of a lazy bum. Like, not somebody we can really have any respect for. Um, no redeeming qualities, dude. So, but like that, that those sort of layered characters... Uh, really help to make this story much more realistic, I feel. Mm -hmm. And I think Johnny's father is actually the basis for which uh, the dude from Lebowski is based on. <laughs> it's just that he had a better script. <laughs> I love this very basic story because you could tell it as 
stranger comes to town, meets a kid, kid has to get some food, and then they end up having a party. Uh, it's pretty linear. But the way Soroyan constructs every interaction, and again, he's using this not quite minimalist stripped down in a stripped down sense, but in a everything is essential idea that I think really powers this story forward, which is, you know, it's simple. It's relatively short. I think it's what, seven pages, if that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's every page matters. You know, you can't skip forward. And I'm not saying I do that a lot, but I, there are probably pages of Young Goodman Brown I've never read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think this, this story is one that rewards multiple readings and also multiple experience of interpretations. And this has actually been adapted so many times. It's been a, uh, an opera. It's been a play. It was Soren's first play was called uh, My Hearts in the Highlands. Mm-hmm. And it was basically this story. And it's really well done. It's a very well-written play that is almost word for word the story. Uh, it's really fascinating. Uh, it's almost word for word the story, except for the title, which <laughs> is fairly altered. <laughs> but it also has been made into short films in both the US and Russia and Denmark and uh, Croatia and on and on Czechoslovakia back when it was still not the Czech and Slovak Republic or whatever they call these things now. And I think the reason they can put it into so many different forms is that it is such a story that can just have anything hung on it that can make it into something really spectacularly special because it allows the interrogation of these very specific characters yeah it almost has it well part of it is the the every boy that we have here johnny uh that that allows just about anyone to walk up to the story and place their face upon his uh he is the you know every boy is just another way of saying you know little barry sue so (laughs) in a way it's just it's a more critical way of saying it and a more derogatory way of saying it. Uh, so that's my that's just my take on it. Uh, I'm going to get super canceled, but <laughs> there's just all these different things that you can relate to. You can relate to being hungry and, you know, you can relate to maybe feeling pressured to have to say or do things that you don't really want to do that, you know, like you can these are things we can all relate to. You can relate to that, that interplay between, you know, an immigrant, you know, community and the, the, the one, you know, that they're clashing with. You can relate to this, you know, the, the, the talented musical old man. (laughs) Yeah. And I think Jasper McGregor is a character that any actor would want to play uh, because he is that, he is in a way what Johnny would likely grow up to be because while he's not necessarily a con man in the way that you would think of it, he is the wandering beggar and, but he's providing a service as the wandering beggar. And that is an interesting little concept. The, the line between a troubadour and a beggar is being able to play the bugle in this case. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's having a 
a talent that you can showcase as, as something that you can give to people and that they want to pay you for in return. That's capitalism, baby. My talent is looking at people and going, really? Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> really? See, there you go. There's a reason why uh, we pay you the big bucks. Correct. Uh, yes, but I love this story. I really do. It's one of my favorite Soroyans, uh, largely because I think it is one of the stories where you see he's still feeling out the edges of his voice. And in many ways, his sort of career, the two stories that we've read of his so far, we've read this, or I think we've read three actually, but we did this one and we did the Parsley Garden. And both of them focus around a kid who is doing things for very different reasons. These are sort of two different aspects. One, it is this kid who is forced to go in and uh, subvert the norms to <laughs> defraud a shopkeeper. The other one just defrauds a shopkeeper and then goes back to make good so that he can deny the shopkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Soroyan wrote kids very well because he missed such a significant chunk of his childhood. And he applied what he would have liked his childhood to have been to the characters that he writes about. And yeah, I've got a... <laughs> I missed that. What'd you say? I've got a splinter. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there there is that hearkening back to childhood uh that we see here and in other writing of his that definitely raises some curiosity for me um as to what's going on there, especially regarding shopkeepers. <laughs> yeah, those shopkeepers there. They're a shady bunch. <laughs> shady. Anyhow, got anything else in this one there, Christy? Uh, just simply that I enjoyed that the, the link that you gave me to read this uh, that you, you put up uh, was photocopied. And then at the very like from a, a journal, a magazine, something like that. And then at the very end, it, it you know, has the, the little teaser for what's next in the next issue. It says coming special numbers devoted to food, the womb, snow, death and bastard death. Hamlet, the world as is. And I was just pretty sure the entire time was reading it that I was reading it that I had a stroke. Like I can't remember what magazine uh this was originally published in, but I was like, that is the one. Oh, it's a booster. Oh, uh, there, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was a very eclectic magazine. It was there's sort of two sides. You had the Criterion and you had the New Yorker. And the Criterion was very serious and very, very literary. And you had the New Yorker, which was still very serious, kind of literary, but also more turned towards things that people actually wanted to read. Um, but the booster was smack dab in the middle and decided to just be weird. And I love that. <laughs> I know too much about 1930s magazines. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can never know too much about 1930s magazines. All I'm saying is I don't know why I want that on a t-shirt, <laughs> but I do. And you shall have it. <laughs> I mean, I, especially just the whole thing, food, the womb, snow, 
death and bastard death. That, that is beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love it. Death and bastard death. I don't know what it means. And that's the beauty of it. You might be a goth kid. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I am. Yes, I'm just the, the world's perkiest goth kid. Girl I had a massive crush on in eighth grade actually would top that like 99%. Okay. All right. All right. So world's second perkiest goth kid. Yes. Because your hair is not blue. At the moment. Nor spiky. Pretty much ever. No. And I don't think you carry around a rainbow bright that you also dress exactly the same as. And that you're wrong about. Damn it. Oh, I knew I should have turned on the video. Um, <laughs> hey, Christy. Hey, Chris. What should we read next time? Next time, I think we should read The Iceman by Haruki. Uh, God damn it. I lost the tab. Haruki Murakami. Ah, uh, yes, this is finally the time that the Iceman story shall cometh to short story. Short podcast. <laughs>